passage, here's what I'm going to do. All right, you ready for this? I'm going to read it, okay? And then I'm going to explain it the best way I know how. And then I'm going to lay out both sides of the controversy. And then if I feel it's helpful for you, I'll tell you my best educated research guess on this with an open hand. And here's why I want to talk about that this morning is because there are some things as Christians that here at church that I will hold with a closed hand and some things I will hold with an open hand. And what do I mean by that? I mean that there are some teachings from the Bible that you cannot like disagree with the church on like if you want to follow Jesus. So for example, I will emphatically disagree with you if you ever say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Okay, That is a closed-handed thing where I will fight to the core for you. But if there's other things that I will open up the Word of God and I will look at it and I will be like, this, from my best understanding of what God says, this is where I would land, but I'm not going to die on that hill. This is one of those passages okay, today. And the reason is, and I'll tell you why, it's not the most controversial thing that Christians talk about, but it is a little bit of a, uh, a, a, little bit of a controversial one in terms of end times prophecy and all that kind of thing. And I will let you know why as we go along. So as we read... Here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to explain the dream, or I'm going to interpret it for you because Daniel actually interprets it for us. I'll, I'll lay out where the disagreement is. Uh, I'll explain my best understanding of where, where I would lie on that. And afterward, when I'm done that, I'll give you something encouraging. Is that okay? Okay, here we go. So, here we go. We're going to read through the text. Daniel chapter 8. And we'll start at verse 1, okay? And it says this. This is the reading of God's word. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a, vis- a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. Right, so let's stop right there. Uh, so what we have here is Daniel, this is, Daniel has another dream, and with the timeline that this is happening in, is somewhere between chapters 4 and 5, right? It's around, Daniel has this dream about about 550 BC, and it's about five to 600 years before Jesus comes, right? Daniel in the lion's den, that story has not happened yet as this dream has occurred. So just kind of giving you a little bit of background as it goes on. Second verse, it says this, And I saw in the vision, when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision, and I was in the Uli Canal. So this is actually a few hundred miles away from where Daniel currently is. And at the time that he received this prophetic insight, he was in Babylon, right? So remember, Babylon's still a thing. Persia hasn't really dominated yet, Susa would become the capital city of Persia years later. Okay? He's looking into the future. It's a few hundred miles away, so he's seen in the future, and he's seen into the new headquarters of the empire. This would become where the vision, this would become like our version of the White House. So that's sort of like uh, what is happening in the story. Then he, then he reads this. <clears throat> I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the side of the canal. 
It had two horns, and both horns were high, but the other was higher than the other, and the other came in up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue his from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. As I, as, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him uh, with his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there were up came four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the land. It grew great and even to the host of heaven, and some of the, some of the host and some of the stars it threw, it threw down to the ground and trampled upon them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over it together with the regular burnt offering because of his transgression it was thrown it will thr- because of its transgression it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper then i heard a holy one speaking and another one holy one said to the one who spoke for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offerings the transgression that makes desolate and the giving of, of a sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored in its rightful state. Okay, how many of you kind of got that, right? All right, some of you got that. It's a really weird dream. And how many of you would say that you're a little bit confused, be honest, on a scale from 1 to 10? All right, that's good. I understand that. And if you're confused, that's okay because Daniel is confused, okay? He gets this vision and he sees this goat and the ram and they're fighting and it breaks off into the four horns and a great one rises and he's just like, what am I seeing? And, if you, that, and so what he does is he actually asks. In verse 15, we learn that Daniel doesn't understand. It says this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And behold, there one before had sorry. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks, and it called Gabriel, "Make this man understand the vision." So he came near where I stood, and he. When he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. 
And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and came up. And he said to me, Behold, I will make known to you the dream. For he refers to the appointed time in the end. Here's what I want you to understand to catch, okay? Daniel receives revelation from God, but he doesn't fully understand it. It needs to be interpreted. How many of you have ever had that experience where you've said, okay, you know, Pastor Dan or, you know, another pastor that you really trust says, I need to read the word, and you read, open up the Bible, and you go to a passage, and you, you just don't get it, right? You've been there, okay? I understand that, and um, you, here, and so what's happening here is Daniel is in that case, and so what winds up happening is that God tells Gabriel, one of the angels, to explain the dream for him. Gabriel gets to do my job, except Gabriel would probably do a way better job than I would, right? He's there, and he's a, there's an angel, and he's coming down, and he says, let me explain God's word to you, and he explains it all to Daniel like that. And you know what is so cool about this that I want to point out? is that God has given you and I someone greater than Gabriel to understand the Word of God. Do you know what that is? Or who that is? The Holy Spirit. Okay? God has given you and I the Holy Spirit. If we've come to a place in our lives where we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it says that the Holy Spirit will live on us and he will help us interpret the word of God. And you know what that means? It means a lot of study. It means a lot of, uh, it means a lot of intentional looking at the word of God if you don't understand it. I would even be willing that we recommend that if you have the time and the money, you should take a class or two at Prairie, just so you can know and understand God's Word. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you don't understand something about the Bible, it's okay, okay? You can ask God to help you understand it. This book has been around for a very, very, very long time. And there has been countless teachers and pastors and Bible scholars and theologians for the last 2,000 years that have dissected Every letter, okay? Trust me, there is somebody out there that can help you understand what God's word says, okay? And so basically what winds up happening is that Gabriel tells Daniel the vision, the meaning of the vision, the dream. And this is what I would say it is. The, oh, let me go back here. Okay, there we go. Here's the point of the dream in a nutshell. If I'm going to condense it into one sentence. After Greece conquers Persia, a king so evil will rise up from Greece and make God's people suffer. That's the point of the dream, okay? Is the whole thing is about the fact that Persia will, in fact, be conquered by Greece, and out of Greece, someone will rise up from them that will do untold suffering and damage to the people of God. Okay, how do I know that? Because that's what it says. Okay, Daniel chapter eight verses uh, or nineteen and twenty. He said to me, "Behold, I will make to you, make known to you what shall be at the latter at the end of nation." For it refers to the appointed time of the end. Verse twenty. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Okay. In verse 21, and the goat is the king of who? Greece. 
and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the, as for the horn that was broken in the place of the four other kings, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power, right? And so if you know your history, you know that that's what actually happens. Is what happens is Persia takes over Babylon, Daniel lives through that, and then Greece overtakes uh, Persia, okay? Now, who was in charge of Greece? Alexander. Alexander the Great. So the Bible actually prophesizes that Alexander the Great comes into power, okay? And he moves swiftly and he conquers uh, the, the known land. Now, here at this point, I'm gonna, I want you to uh, ask, you might be asking yourself the question, why does God concern himself so much with these four empires, right? So we have the statue, we have the vision of the animals, and now we have the ram and the goat, and it all centers around four countries. What are those four countries? Say it with me. Babylon. Maybe Rome, okay? If you took that interpretation, okay? Why does God care so much about those four countries? Because here's what I need you to understand. From God's perspective, the center point of history, the pivot point is the person and work of Jesus Christ, okay? So all of human history leading up to Jesus is about focusing on Jesus, and everything after is the aftermath. The pivot point is Jesus himself. And so every single one of these nations, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and, and, the, and the final nation that rose up, they all have something to do with either preventing the work of Jesus Christ for coming or actually aiding in the work of Jesus Christ for coming. So for example, Babylon. Babylon comes, totally destroys the temple. There's a whole bunch of uh, idolatry going on, but Daniel rises up, and because of his positive influence, that influences the king quite a bit, um, to speak about how great God is throughout the whole country. Persia comes along, or uh, yeah, Persia comes along, and there are two significant things that happen during the Persian Empire. One is the story of Esther, right? And remember what happens in the story of Esther. There's genocide against God's people, right? King, king kind of rises out and tries to destroy him. But on the other side of it, it's also the empire that releases the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the temple, right? Greece comes along, and what's the New Testament written in? Greek, okay? Do you see what I'm seeing? Is every single one of these nations has an important point of pulling up to the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? It is always about Jesus. In fact, if you want to know how to read the Bible, the Bible in and of itself always points to the work of Jesus. How do they know that? That's what Jesus said, okay? When he's on the, when he's on, when he rises from the dead and he's on the road to Emmaus and he's hanging out with his disciples, he opens up the word of God and he shows from Genesis all the way to the prophets how the entire Old Testament is fundamentally about him. The entire Bible is about Jesus. What you're reading is about Jesus' kingdom coming, okay? And here's the cool thing. I mean, I'm going to tell you a really quick story because I want you to be able to trust God's word, okay? You ready for this? This is really, really cool. How many of you know about a man named Josephus? Josephus. Okay, who is he? He's what? He's a Jewish historian. He's considered one of the great, greatest historians in all of Jewish history, right? So he, what he does is 
He lives right around the time of Jesus. He actually writes about Jesus himself. He's not a Christian, but he writes in a total like volume set about the work of uh, or about the the history of the Jewish people, including Jesus. He's when when people ask me, how is there any kind of out extra biblical evidence that Jesus existed? I would point to Josephus. A lot of scholars will do that. Well, Josephus writes a story about Alexander the Great. Here's the crazy thing, right? I don't know if it's true, but I'm hoping it's true, okay? So Alexander the Great, what winds up happening in Josephus' account is that Josephus writes that Alexander the Great has a vision, right? He has a vision from some sort of deity. It's probably demonic or whatever. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but he gets the... He gets some sort of divine revelation that she, he should go out and conquer. So he goes out and conquers, right? And he conquers the entire known world and he makes his way to the Middle East and to Jerusalem. Well, at this point, you got to remember that the, the city of Jerusalem is built up or restored. The temple is built up from Ezra and Nehemiah. And the high priest is fearing a repeat of Babylon, Okay? So there, he's, re, he's, he's fearing that they're going to come in and decimate the people. So what he does in Josephus' account is that he gets the whole people to dress in white and to worship and to do a, a day of prayer and fasting to God. And so what he does is that he dresses in what color? Purple. He dresses in the color purple. And he goes in and he performs sacrifices and they do a day of fasting before God. Alexander the Great comes in and guess who he sees? He sees the high priest in purple. And then he says to him, you're the guy that I saw in the vision. This is the cool part, right? This is the really, really, really cool part. Is the high priest welcomes Alexander the Great in and opens up to Daniel chapter 8. And says, you are the guy that God has prophesied about. Okay? I tell you that story for one simple reason, okay? If Josephus is true, it means that every liberal Bible scholar is wrong, okay? Hear this out. Daniel is so specific in his predictions about what happens that when you get to the academic level, liberal Bible scholars will say, Daniel must not be true because he's so specific, it must have been written after these events have occurred. But if, if Josephus' account of Alexander is true, that's impossible because he read it right in front of him. Let God be true and every Bible scholar a liar, right? You can trust God's word. If God, you can trust that it's true. So when it's talking about whether or not it's making all these predictions, when it's talking about Jesus dying on the cross and forgiving your sins, you can trust it, okay? One of the, I had a guy come up to me uh, probably uh, a few months ago, and he was asking me, how is there any evidence we know that the Bible is true? And I said, well, look at Daniel. Daniel made all these predictions three to 600 years before they happened and they came true, Okay? You can trust when God's word is accurate, okay? Well, that's sort of the, the vision of the dream. But the second part is this, is that after, after Greece arises, an a, a evil leader will arise, okay? It says this in the, 
in the verse coming forward. It says this, verse 9. Out of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground or trampled on them. It became great even as the, as the prince of host, as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And it goes on and talks about this. Verse 23, I'm skipping down a little bit. And at the latter end, this is the interpretation of it, at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause the fearful and uh, shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and he, he, in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall have even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall, he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and in the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. Okay, so basically, this is what this is what I'm, this is what I'm trying to say. Okay, Greece will overtake Persia. A great leader will arise and hurt the people of God. Okay, where the controversy lies in this passage is whether or not this is referring to something that has already been fulfilled or it's talking about the Antichrist. That's where Christians differ. And I'll explain why it's so important for you, uh, why this is important, okay? Why it's important is because it changes the way you read it. Here's what happens, okay? Alexander the Great takes over the known world, but he dies by age 30, around 33, I guess, right? In his place, four generals arise and take over his kingdom. Just like the text says, one of them will become greater than the others, and out of that one empire, uh, out of that one uh, empire, a man arises, a man by the name of Antiochus. And he does everything in this text. He is fearful, he is sinister and he's cunning. He's powerful and is mighty. He prospers and he thrives at evil. He destroys the people of God. He causes deceit to prosper and he exalts himself above all others. What winds up happening is he takes over Jerusalem and then in he goes and he goes to the temple of God and he sets up a statue of Zeus. Okay? And then what winds up happening is as soon as the, the statue of Zeus is set up, he sacrifices a pig on the altar, okay? Which would have been very, 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 which would have been an abomination to the people of God, okay? And then he winds up changing the laws and making it impossible for the for the Israelites to actually do the sacrificial system. He demands to be worshipped. He's an, he's an awful, awful, awful guy, right? In fact, he's so awful that Jews today still know about the story, okay? Approximately years later, a revolution comes up by the name of 
uh, a Maccabean revolution comes up and they overthrow him and they celebrate that victory today. We know it as Hanukkah. Okay. And so every Jew would know this, right? So there's one, there's one interpretation that what you're reading here is actually fulfilled in Antiochus. The other interpretation is, is that it's uh, a prediction of the final Antichrist. Okay? And so it's kind of a little bit debated about where you would land on this. And uh, why am we talking about it today is because it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it changes the way that you and I read the word, okay? So, where would I land on this? Well, here's what I'm going to land on this, right? I'm actually going to say that both the interpretation that this is talking about the future Antichrist and the interpretation that it is talking about a fulfilled prophecy are both true. Now, I know that sounds a little bit Weird, but let me explain it really carefully for you for a second, okay? Which one is it? It's this. Is I believe that Antiochus is a foreshadowing of the, fall, of, the, of the final Antichrist. Two reasons. 1 John 2.18 says to us, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. So it's not just that there will be a Antichrist. There will be lots and lots of people who are anti-Jesus, anti-following God, anti-everything. And I think Antiochus is one of them. The other reason I think that is because of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15. And he says this. I'll start in verse 14. It says this. Jesus, talking about the second coming, says this. And this gospel kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, described by who? The prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Okay? Jesus is referring to Matthew chapter 8, or Daniel chapter 8. Yeah. And at that time, everyone would have known who Antiochus was. Everyone would have known that he set up uh, a defilement in the, in the temple of God. Right? I think Antiochus is a foreshadowing of the final Antichrist. Are you confused yet? <laughs> How many of you are confused? Okay. It would be okay if you were. Okay. Because the last verse of this chapter says this. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I rose and went about the king's business. What does it say? Everyone read it with me. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Okay. Even after God clearly explains himself, Daniel doesn't understand it all. Daniel couldn't understand why God would allow such evil to happen. And here's what I think it means by when he says he doesn't understand. I think Daniel is able to comprehend the interpretation of the dream, 
but he's, he doesn't understand why God would allow so much suffering. You have to understand how the, this in context of Daniel. Daniel grows up in Jerusalem. It's overtaken by Babylon. He knows that there's a prophecy coming where Jeremiah says, this only will last for 70 years. Okay? But then God gives him a vision that the people of God will suffer more. Right? And so what Daniel is, how Daniel is trying to understand this. How, does, how do these two things reconcile? Why would God do this? And here's what I want you to catch. Here's the encouraging part for you today. Okay? You and Daniel does not need to comprehend everything about God's plan before he trusts in God. Amen. Okay? You need to hear that one more time. Daniel does not need to trust or comprehend everything that is revealed to him by God before he trusts that God is good and trusts him with his life. There are going to be times, friends, in my life and your life where God reveals something, explains something, or asks us to do something, and we're not always going to understand why or how or why he wants us to do it. And here's the problem with that. I think a lot of us feel like in order to trust God, we have to understand him. Let me tell you something. You're never going to understand everything that God reveals to you. You're not. Okay? There are doctrines out there that make my mind throw up and hurt. Okay? The Trinity, for example. The Trinity is the, the, the teaching that we believe that God the Father is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are fully God and deserve to be honored and worshipped. That blows my mind because when it comes to Jesus, that means is that Jesus is fully human. He's not Superman. He gets sick, he gets frail, he dies. Okay? His body is fully human in every sense of the word. But he's fully God. I don't understand that, do you? No. And you're not going to. Does that mean you, need to tr you can't trust it? Or, for example, if you were trying to explain the relationship between God's sovereignty and God's free will, okay? Those are two concepts in the Bible that are there, but I don't understand how they work together. There are going to be times when God reveals something that you're just not going to get, okay? But you don't need to understand it all before you trust that he's good and that he loves you. Okay? And that's very, very, very important okay? for you and I to do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to understand it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you don't need to fully comprehend before you trust your life with him. And here's where I see this play out, okay? This plays out, here's where I see it play out for you and I today. With Daniel, it plays out in understanding prophetic literature. For you and I, it plays out in our doubt. And here's what I mean, okay? There are so many times where I've, I've, I've come, I've, I've had, I've, I've known Christians who love the Lord and somehow there comes something against them where they question their faith. They, they question what they believe. Maybe it's evolution or maybe it's some sort of thing that happened. Why would God... Why would a good God allow bad stuff to happen and all that kind of thing? There's just something that comes against them. Evidence is presented to them that makes them think that maybe it's not true. And what they wind up doing, and this is what I hate about it, is they put their faith on hold until they figure it out, but they never figure it out. 
Okay? I got to comprehend. I got to understand. I got to figure it out. There are just some things that you're not going to figure out. When I was a kid, uh, my dad had this, uh, you know, how many of you have had a dad that said, don't do something, and you go, why? And he goes, because I said so, right? Yeah. My dad, okay, so I'll tell you a story, right? I think I shared the story with before, but I'm just running out of stories. Okay. Uh, my dad was cooking food one day, right? And, you know, there was a stove, and, you know, there was this red-hot glowing element. And I'm like, ooh, look, a red-hot glowing element. And my dad goes, don't touch the element. And, he go, and I go, why? Because I said so. Well, that's not an answer. <laughs> All right? I found out why. <laughs> All right? See, in my, like, five-year-old mind, I needed to comprehend why my dad said not to touch it before, before I actually followed through with it. It's the same thing with you and I and God, is, is that there are some times that you and I, like, I don't know why, but there's something that God reveals, something that God asks of us, and we won't do it until we fully comprehend. Okay? And as much as I've tried to explain the dream to you today, I hope you understand that Daniel doesn't fully understand the dream. But he trusts in God. He trusts that he's good. He sees that he's an answer. And that's what I would ask you to do today. Is there anything in your life this morning that you're going and saying, God, I won't believe that. I won't do that. I won't trust that until you understand. Would you be willing to lay that down before him today. Is that good? Yeah, amen. amen. Let's uh, close with one more song.